0: So Matthew chapter 5, verse 1 to 6. Let me read it for us. Here's God's word. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Let me pray for us real quick. Father, we thank you for these words. We thank you that we're not left guessing about what you uh, want and what you have done in this world, but you have recorded them for us, and you have given us a revelation, a picture, a, 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 an idea of what you are intending for us. I pray that these would not just be words that we study, but these would be words, your voice that we hear. Pray, Spirit, that you would be with us in this time, that you would speak, that we would hear by faith, with the courage you supply, we'd walk out these truths. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay. So for the last few weeks, what we've been doing is we've been in um, what the Bible calls the Beatitudes. You might see that as the header of Matthew chapter 5, the Beatitudes. And Beatitudes are basically the introduction or the kind of the intro um, of Jesus' greatest teaching, his greatest sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. And what we've been saying is that the Beatitudes are often read as kind of directions, directions for how to obtain the blessed life. But then we... We said, well, that's not how you should read them because that's not how Jesus intended these to be read. Yes, there are directive elements, like they sort of guide us towards the the blessed life. But Jesus' main intention, his big idea, his desire for us in these Beatitudes is to not give us directions to follow, but declarations to know declarations of the reality of God that he's already secured for us. And so the, the Beatitudes aren't just directions towards the blessed life. They are declarations of the blessed life. They're not imperatives. They're indicatives, if you're an English uh, major. Now, um, this is a fourth attitude, uh, Beatitude of uh, many. And I want us to stop, as we as we just read them, I want us to stop and notice something that's similar, something that all four of these have in common. You might not have caught it, so let me just read them out loud and just try to think about what Jesus is saying and why he might have grouped these four at the beginning of uh, his greatest sermon ever. So I'm going to read these out to you and think about what they all have in common. First one says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God, or heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Any ideas come into your mind? Any guesses about what these four Beatitudes share in common? Let me help you out here. Jesus is declaring to us that we're in need in all of these, that we're in need, that we're lacking, that we're poor. In fact, uh, scholars uh, call these first four uh, Beatitudes, the first group of Beatitudes, the poor Beatitudes. Jesus says we lack in spirit. Jesus says we lack in happiness. Jesus says we lack in strength or power. And in verse 6, Jesus says we lack in righteousness. We're lacking. But what does that mean? What does... Do you guys know what righteousness means? What is righteousness? It's not a, not a thing that we, it's being good, uh, not a word that we often use in our everyday language. But, um, you know, when I was thinking about our, how, what, what connotation righteousness has, it, it sort of has a negative connotation. You're going to say something? i going to say, uh, without sin. Yeah, without sin. But... Righteousness, a normal language, when we use it in everyday conversation, righteousness often has this negative connotation. We kind of think of the proud person, the self righteous person, the smug person, right? But what does God mean by righteousness? Okay, the quickest example I can give to you is something I experienced with my car. Now, I realized that some of you guys were with us on Friday night as we were talking a little bit about our experiences in cars and how, you know, maybe as uh, in my previous life, I um, went faster than I should have, more often than I would like to admit, and how I maybe don't have the right inspection sticker on my window today. But don't judge me even more than you judge me on Friday. Um, here, here it is. Like, um, when I was... Or my older car, not the car I currently have, I had it for about three or four years or, yeah, three years. Uh, there's something that I would experience all the time when I was driving that car, okay? And I never did anything about it, but I just, I just went with it. Uh, I, the thing that I experienced in this car, maybe some of you guys would relate uh, when you drive older cars, um, I would be merging onto the highway, so you kind of ramp up from, you know, 35 to 55 or whatever it may be. And as my speedometer started to reach that 50, 55 mile per hour point, it would feel like there was an earthquake kind of uh, kind of ripping apart the asphalt underneath me. You guys know what I'm talking about? Any of you have older cars? Okay, that have that problem. Okay. The steering wheel would feel like it's jarring loose from my hands. Like It would just be like I'd have to hold on tight. Um, and it would only get worse as I approached 60, 65 miles per hour. You guys seem to know what I'm talking about. seems like everyone drives um, cars that are a little older than they'd like. Um, Now, I didn't do anything to fix it. Uh, I just went with it because truth is, there is nothing else in the world that I could care less about than my car. It's just my car. It's a vehicle that I own that gets me from point A to point B. Now, this has nothing to do with the illustration, but if you have that problem, you guys probably already know this. If you drive faster Then the 65 or 55 point where, you know, it starts to um, shake, it smooths out. It's awesome, right? It's kind of my de facto reason for why I speed. I just kind of like, let me go fast so that I don't have a shaky car. So bad excuse, but it's the best one I have for for speeding. Anyway, if you've been in a car that shakes like that, here's why that happens if you've never bothered to look into it. Uh, One of the reasons why a car shakes at speeds Uh, higher speeds, is because your wheels are out of alignment or you have uh, some uh, uh, maybe unbalanced wear on your tire. Something's wrong. There's not a, a balance in your tires. Now, you may just look at your parked car and you may realize, those look fine to me, right? There's nothing unbalanced about them. They're not crooked one way or the other, but that's the whole point. It only takes a very small fraction of misalignment. It only takes a small fraction of unbalanced wear in your tires to cause that two-ton vehicle to start shaking violently while it's in motion, right? It's imperceptible to the naked eye when we just look at it in the park state, but once you start driving it, you start using the vehicle, it's unmistakable, right? In order for your car to maintain that sure and steady kind of new car feel, Never had a new car, so I would, I'd love to have that feel one day. Um, it needs proper alignment. You need to have your tires balanced. And that's basically what righteousness is, okay? In the simplest form, obviously there's way more complex than that, but in its simplest form, righteousness is alignment. It's alignment. Primarily alignment with God, that's the, the vertical form of righteousness, right? You being right with God, on the same page. Uh, uh, being uh, on, uh, in his um, will, there's also a horizontal form of align- uh, uh, righteousness. That's a horizontal alignment. Sometimes we call this justice. And one element of social justice is that we are restoring balance to the world in the way that God intended it for it to be, right? Uh, bringing it back to what it should be. Now, as far as, as, far as the vertical form of r- righteousness, If alignment with God is righteousness, then misalignment with him is what? Sin. Is sin. Right? Righteousness means total alignment with God and his ways, while the smallest of sins means you are unrighteous or out of line or off the mark. Now, that's just like a five-minute primer to the Bible's uh, definition of righteousness, all because what Jesus is saying here uh, points to this reality of hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Hungering and thirsting for this alignment. There's a reason why this beatitude is the last among the poor beatitudes. Because Jesus is making super clear to us that we all lack this righteousness. We all lack alignment. And not just a lack like we're just, you know, we're missing one out of the ten parts that we all need. It's not just like we can, uh, you know, just call up Grubhub and fill our hunger and it'll be 15 minutes away. It's not that sort of uh, hunger or thirst or lack, right? He's talking about something even more than that. He's talking about a hunger and thirst that many of us have never felt before. You know how that that feeling at 1130 when you're looking at your watch and you're like, oh, I'm starving, right? Or maybe it's earlier for some of you guys. You're like 11 o'clock. You're like, oh, I'm starving. It's been two hours since breakfast. That's not the hunger or thirst that Jesus is talking about. You know that feeling when you open your fridge and you're looking at all the food that you just bought and you're like, there's nothing to eat, That's not the hunger and thirst that Jesus is talking about. It's much more than that. Hunger and thirst here is talking about a dire need. Hunger and thirst that none of us probably, well, maybe some of us, but probably most of us have never felt before. It's a destitute feeling, desperate hunger. You're famished. You're parched. You're starving, quite literally. And what Jesus is trying to uh, highlight is this severe problem. He's not saying, hey, you just have this like, you're a small thing that you're missing. You, you need maybe a granola bar to get you uh, over the hump. He's saying, no, you have nothing. You are, you are lacking righteousness. You, you, you have none of it and no hope of finding it. And he's saying, Blessed are you who realize that they don't have the righteousness they need. Blessed are you without an ounce of righteousness. And don't miss this. What Jesus is saying here is you're blessed because you hunger and thirst for righteousness. So if you read this as Jesus' directive, okay, now I have to hunger and thirst for righteousness in order for me to be blessed, you would be, you would be wrong. So don't write into your notes, okay, this week I must improve hunger, be thirsty, get better. Got it. No, that's not what Jesus is saying. You don't need to improve your hunger. You don't need to be more thirsty or be better. Right? The thing about hunger and thirst, right, we don't do anything to produce it. Hunger and thirst confronts you. You don't go and cultivate it. You you don't go and search for hunger and thirst. Hunger and search will come and find you whether you like it or not, right, if you are actually hungry and thirsty. So Jesus isn't calling you to put in more effort to become more hungry or to become more thirsty. It's not the intensity of the hunger and thirst that Jesus is trying to point at. What Jesus is saying, it's the object of your hunger and thirst, The object of your hunger and thirst is what matters. It's what you hunger and thirst after. And Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Righteousness. In other words, you're blessed if you realize that your greatest need, the thing that will give you life isn't entertainment or fame or money or whatever it may be that you can fill in the blank with. You're blessed if you hunger and thirst for righteousness that alignment with God and his ways. If you thirst and hunger after that, if you realize you lack it and you need it, Jesus says, you'll be blessed. But if we're honest with ourselves, while we're hungry and thirsty for a lot of things, we are not hungry and thirsty for righteousness. When's the last time we were hungry and thirsty for righteousness? It doesn't happen very often. Physical hunger is a sensation we all understand, right? Some of us feel it every single day. If you're a child, it seems like every single minute we feel physical hunger. But I think there's a more universal feeling than physical hunger, and I think it's spiritual hunger. Even if you're not a Christian or somebody that says they come to church or follow Jesus, I think we all experience spiritual hunger. It just goes by different names. There's discontentedness dissatisfaction, unhappiness, whatever it may be. But at the end of the day, it's all a symptom of spiritual hunger. We all are searching for something to fill a need. We all feel that something's missing. We all feel incomplete. That feeling of you know, maybe something's not quite right. We don't have what we need. And so what do we do? We don't, we can't put our finger on it. So we often just try everything. We try whatever it it may, uh, whatever seems easiest or most convenient. We try to go after it and we say, all right, that is what I'm going to try. So we might think it's money. So we try to go and and fill ourselves with money. and, And once we get it, we realize, well, that didn't do the trick. We might think, well, if I just get married and have children and have a family, then I won't have that feeling anymore. Well, let me tell you, as somebody that is married and has children, that won't do the trick either. I love my family, but it doesn't fill that longing and desire. We feel a lack of something that we can't quite put a finger on. So we, what do we do? We consume more. We self-medicate. We do all of these things. We try newer and better experiences. Some of us even come to church to fill that need. We look to organize religion to fill that lack in ourselves, that that spiritual hunger, that dissatisfaction, or whatever it may be. And let me tell you, we think, you know, I might need guidance. I might need uh, more order in my life. I just need a list of do's and don'ts, what I should and shouldn't do, and that'll do the trick. But the reality is, hey, even religion won't fulfill that longing in your heart. It'll just let you down like all the other things in this world have let us down. I think C.S. Lewis said it best. If you guys have read his book, Mere Christianity, you might know this quote. He said, if I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. So what can satisfy us? What will satiate that hunger pain that we all feel? What will fill that spiritual longing in our hearts that We might not just be able to put our finger on Well, Jesus says, only righteousness will fill it. Only righteousness will satisfy us. Only in alignment with God and his ways will make you whole, will fulfill your longing. And that's what Jesus is promising here. He's saying the blessed, the blessed people are those who deeply feel their lack of righteousness. The blessed are the ones who realize that they don't have an ounce of righteousness and they so, de- they so desperately need and they hunger and thirst for it. That's the blessed, those are the blessed people. Why are they blessed? Here's the next part. For they shall be satisfied. They're blessed if they realize they lack what they desperately need, which is righteousness. They're blessed because they will be satisfied. What they're lacking will be supplied. What they're missing will be found. What's incomplete will be made whole. What's misaligned will be brought back into alignment. How? Notice that Jesus doesn't say, they shall then search and find what they're looking for. He doesn't say they'll figure it out. He doesn't say they'll go make a way for themselves. He says, "For they shall be satisfied." It means you will receive from a source outside of yourself. In other words, you will be given the righteousness that you so desperately need. And where's it come from? Well, Jesus says it later in a sermon uh, on the mount in Matthew chapter six, verse thirty-three. He says, "But seek first His kingdom, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness." The righteousness we need is God's righteousness. The righteousness that we long for belongs to Him. It's God's righteousness. So the way that you and I are going to be supplied this righteousness, the the righteousness that we desperately need, isn't going to be to go on a journey of self-discovery. The way that we're going to get the righteousness that we need isn't going to happen because we unlock some secret message or some uh, really awesome teacher told you something that no one else knows about. Please don't go follow that. There's no secrets here. It's not something that we can produce. It's not a reward for our performance. It's not some path we follow. The righteousness that we need is found in a person, Jesus. Jesus is perfectly righteous. He was in perfect alignment with God. He even said, my food is to do the will of God, right? It just fits perfectly with what he's saying here. He was in perfect alignment. And Martin Luther calls what happened on the cross the great exchange. Because on the cross, Jesus, the perfectly righteous one, the one that was in perfect alignment with God, steps into our misalignment, steps into our unrighteousness, and takes on our penalty, right? That's the mystery of this gospel. On that cross, Jesus took on the burden of our sin, took on uh, all that uh, was unrighteous, and then gave to us his perfect righteousness. Our sin laid on Christ, his righteousness laid on us. That's the great exchange. And that's the blessing that Jesus promises here. Seven Mile Road, here's the thing. This beatitude should be a declaration of good news to all of us. You know why? Because I'm guessing all of us in one way or another feel unrighteous. Feel like we don't have enough. Feel like we, we're not quite there yet. But here's the thing. If this is true, and it is, Jesus says, Blessed are the, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. This being unrighteous is not a disqualification. Being Lacking righteousness is not a disqualification. In fact, it's an invitation to then find your fulfillment in Jesus because he says, you're blessed if you lack righteousness. If you hunger and thirst for it, you are blessed. You know why? Because you will be satisfied. If you're here today and you feel self-righteous, you feel like you've got it all, you've got what it takes, you're all set, well, Jesus is kind of saying, there's actually no room for you in the kingdom of God you're not going to find happiness there. You're not going to be blessed there. Because the only ones who are blessed in the kingdom of God are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Because their satisfaction will be Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I pray that we would all feel free from any pretense or any performing or any production that we need to put up. There's nothing we can do to earn our way. We don't have to have it all together. and That's such good news. I pray that you would remind us today, if we're in that space, of striving to keep it together, of striving to perform and keep up our performance, I pray that you would just free us. Help us to see this beatitude as an invitation towards freedom. Because when we hunger and thirst for righteousness, we're going to be blessed. Pray that you would help us to see that our blessing is only found in Christ, that our only satisfaction is in Christ, that nothing else can satisfy us. May you give us that freedom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.